Hi everyone, welcome to Season 2 of the Asian Hustle Network Podcast, where we interview Asian entrepreneurs and professionals around the world. And for this season, we're going to take our conversations deeper about our Asian identity and hustle stories. We also want to announce that we are hosting our first ever Asian Hustle Network Uplifted Conference next spring in Las Vegas. For more info and to reserve your seats, check out our website at asianhustlenetwork.com. Don't forget to grab a copy of our recently released book, Uplifted, Journeys of Abundance, Community, and Identity, which tells the personal stories of how 21 Asian American entrepreneurs are shifting culture. You can order it on our website as well. Hey guys, welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Maggie. And we interview Asian entrepreneurs around the world to amplify their voices and empower Asians to pursue their dreams and goals. We believe that each person has a message and a unique story from their entrepreneurial journey that they can share with all of us. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. Today, we have a very special guest with us. Her name is Pauline Ang. Pauline is the founder and CTO of Twirl. As a milk tea enthusiast, since her first sips in UC Berkeley, she quickly realized not all milk teas were created equal. Most were loaded with sugar, use low quality ingredients, and some were even made from powder. After 15 plus years in branding and food and beverage packaging design, Pauline decided it was time to create a product that she felt truly passionate about. The result is a great tasting plant-based milk tea using the best and cleanest ingredients possible without having to compromise on flavor. Pauline, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Excited to be here. Excited to have you on. So let's get right into it. Where did you grow up and what was your upbringing like, Pauline? So I actually grew up in Hong Kong, um, but I don't have that much memory of it. Um, My parents were um, both, you know, working really hard in Hong Kong, but then because they really wanted, you know, a better opportunity for me, they decided to move us to the United States when I was about five years old. So um, I don't remember much except going to kindergarten there, but I did go back frequently. So I definitely got a lot of the food and the drinks and the culture um, from Hong Kong. But I really actually grew up in Hawaii, which is where I spent most of my years until I graduated from high school. Oh, wow. That's amazing. My family is also from Hong Kong. And. Um, you know, just knowing the business that you're in, you know, milk tea, there's just so many different milk tea places in Hong Kong. I always love going back there to taste the different milk teas. But, you know, before we get into your business, um, I do want to talk about like, you know, a little bit about your upbringing and how you were raised because, you know, you building a business, you know, you have to have a very entrepreneurial spirit, a very entrepreneurial mindset. And I'm very curious to know, you know, like, have you always had a very entrepreneurial spirit? And if not, like, how did you develop it? Yeah. So, um, it's pretty funny because I grew up, um, sort of with a single mom because my dad actually, um, he had to travel back to Hong Kong to work. So for most of the year, except for summer vacation and holidays, Um, my parents, or sorry, my mom was the one that raised me in Hawaii. And so she was busy working and I spent a lot of time by myself, honestly. Um, I was an only child. So I kind of had to spend that time like figuring out what to do. And I really enjoyed doing like little projects for myself. I would create like little recipe cards. I would make business cards. I was one of those kids who uh, went to like any store, like 
it would be like a stationery store or like a furniture store, wherever my parents went, I would just grab their business card and stationery for no reason. I think back then I didn't really know why I just gravitated towards that kind of stuff. And at home, I would try to create my own and try to quote unquote, sell it to my parents and my grandparents, you know, they were the only ones around to buy it. So I would like do these little stamping kits. I would um, package them in little uh, baggies for them to, you know, for them to purchase. And I think maybe I got like a few dollars out of it, but it was just something for me to do that found like really interesting for myself. And I would just, um, I would love uh, cutting ads out of magazines. I just found them like, wow, if I could only do something like this when I grew up, but I never thought that design would actually be like a, like a job. I always thought, oh, it's just something people do for fun. And I didn't know you could actually do this for work. So that's how I kind of started. I always had like little ideas of like, maybe I would, um, you know, start a little business selling these things, you know, little booth. But, you know, I think it was just something to pass the time when I was little. Uh, when I was in college, um, I... I did like really want to do my own thing, but just also didn't really realize that you could, you know, create, you know, design and sell it. So I would just um, design little things and like I would do brochures and um, posters for, you know, whatever club I was in. And I was always like the designer in whatever group. And um, that's how I kind of um, started that journey. But I actually didn't work for a design agency right out of um, college. I, I just, you know, went the path that most people went and worked at a software startup. So it wasn't until after that that I kind of discovered what my passion was. Oh, wow. That's amazing. I mean, when I was growing up as well, I loved stationery as well. So it's, I don't know why I just like loved stationery. It's like very inspiring to hear, you know, your background and your story about, you know, how you were raised and how you were growing up. Um, and, you know, I'm, I, I would love to know, like, as you were relocating to Hawaii from Hong Kong, did you ever feel like you had to go through finding your Asian identity again? Um, because, you know, I know it's it must be very hard. You were still very young. So, you know, maybe there was just some things that you remember. Maybe there are some things that you didn't remember. But um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, like what you remember out of your experience relocating to Hawaii and what that kind of felt like for you? Yeah. You know, to be honest, Hawaii is very where, at least where I grew up was very Asian. Um, like it was mostly Japanese and Chinese and Korean. Um, there were a few Caucasians around in my schools, but I would say the majority was Asian. So, but it was different. It was different. Like, I think Hawaii has its own vibe and people are just, um, it's like a more relaxed kind of Asian there, I would say. Yeah. Whereas, um, you know, people from Hong Kong are like, Taiwan or China, like very loud and like, um, you know, less chill. Um, yeah. Everyone's really relaxed and chill right. about things and super friendly. So I felt like the bridge wasn't that huge for me to move from Hong Kong to Hawaii. And because I was so young, I think I was just very adaptable to, you know, new things. But um, I did feel the difference actually when I went back to Hong Kong to visit over the summer, when I visited my dad, who was still working there, um, I definitely felt um, like a little bit out of my own culture because I had been used to being, you know, the Asian American way versus, you know, more Asian. Uh, so I did feel um, a little sense of like wanting to learn, you know, the language more to, you know, 
be able to order at food at restaurants, like to be able to get to, at least to that level and to talk to my relatives in Chinese. Uh, when I was in high school and college, I did take Mandarin, even though I, I speak Cantonese, but I did take Mandarin just so I could like re learn to read and write the language. So I wanted to feel that connection back to my roots. Oh, I love that so much. I love that you were, you know, trying to learn more about your cultural heritage because I feel like, you know, a lot of the times um, as Asians, we we tend to sway away from that, you know, and we, you know, as we grow older, um, we kind of lose sense of, oh, you know, like, is there still a reason for me to learn my language if I didn't learn it at a young age? But I love that you went back and said, like, I really wanted to connect with my relatives and learn the language, learn how to speak it. Um, because personally, like, I've always been very, very proud to have been bilingual and to be able to speak multiple languages, right? I think it's a very um, useful skill to have. So that's for so, sure. Yeah. yeah. So I know yeah. you're a designer um, for mm -hmm. multiple companies, and this was before you had started your own company. Um, and I'm very curious to know, like, what was that transition process like? You know, and you know, before we get into that, you know, talk about what Twirl Milk Tea is and how you decided to make that jump from your nine to five corporate job to becoming an entrepreneur full time. Yeah, no, I reflect back on my career a lot and just think about all the things I did before starting Twirl kind of led up to this moment because I was like, well, I worked for a software company and then I worked for a design agency for many, many years, but how did I end up doing Twirl? Um, well, first of all, Twirl is just based out, it's almost or is a passion project. It's just, I'm like a huge consumer of boba milk tea, milk tea in general. Um, I've been drinking it for like, for as long as I can remember. You know, even when I went back to Hong Kong when I was little, like my mom would always give me some because that's just what's available at the restaurant. So I grew up drinking like the hot version of it, you know, the Naicha, but not really like the, you know, boba version until probably like end of high school, like into college. Uh, but, you know, I would love drinking this stuff. You want to drink it every day, but you just can't because it's, you know, it's just too sweet, like yeah. too much, um, you know, too much sugar, a lot of dairy and just um, not something I could drink every day, even though I craved it so much. And I would go everywhere, like searching for like something that was like lower calorie and lower sugar. And I just couldn't find it. I mean, you could request lower sugar at the boba shop, but then it kind of like doesn't taste as good. So you're like, well, then I don't want to drink it at all because it's not that good and it's not okay. worth the calories. So what can I, like, I really want to just, just create something on my own and just like make something in my kitchen for myself. Um, but, you know, going back to just how I ended up doing twirl. Um, I was working at a software company out of college and it was one of those amazing places where I think everybody who worked there is now like doing something like incredible. Like I just um, like everybody there. And it was just one of those places where, you know, it was mostly like Berkeley graduates. That's where I graduated from. And we just were all 20 something like year learn. Um, and I was doing like marketing communications at that time. I was doing their website. Um, I was doing brochures. Um, I was just writing copy, but I was, you know, really gravitated towards the, the designer of the website. And I kept asking him, like, can you teach me how to, you know, design this website and how to design a brochure? Like I had no idea how to use any of these graphic design programs. Then I was just, um, you know, using Word docs and Excel spreadsheets. So he was really my mentor there. And I really credit him, you know, 
my my coworker there for introducing introducing me to graphic design. He was super talented, and ultimately, I just kept asking like, "How do I have your job?" <laughs> I just really wanted his job and not mine. And I finally realized that you know, in order to do what he did, I would have to go back to art school. So that's what I ended up doing. Um, I went to art school. I like worked as hard as I could and finished it in two and a half years um, because I was already out of school and I didn't want to continue. I didn't want to spend another four years in school. So I got um, I got my master's in um, design and art as an MFA from um, and from then on, I just had to really start over working at a design agency. So I must have worked at maybe uh, three design agencies over the 15 years um, and worked on everything from, well, mostly actually food and beverage packaging. That was sort of what I gravitated towards while I was in art school. I loved just the 3D form of things. Like some graphic designers go into like book printing, brochures, websites. I was just really into like the 3D form and how I could see my product on the shelf. Like that was just something I just really, really gravitated towards. And it's, it's odd. Like when you find your calling, you don't really know why, but you just kind of like, know you want to see, you know, know you want to go in that direction. Right. So, uh, I done a lot of, you know, I think many, we work for Anheuser-Busch. It was like Sprint, Campbell's, Starbucks, um, like many big brands. And throughout that whole process, while it was really fun seeing your design on shelf, you just wonder like, how do I feel about these products? And is it something that I personally am passionate about? And do I want to buy this kind of stuff? Um, and a lot of the times it wasn't what I would personally buy, but I'm doing the design for it. So I kept thinking to myself, you know, one day I'm going to, you know, design my own product, create my own product, something that I personally believe in and that I would want to purchase and um, that I would feel good about buying. And so that's sort of the path that led to Twirl. <laughs> um, it was kind of a difficult path because I, um, in between, you know, I had kids and I think after having kids, you kind of really set your priorities straight. Like they, it just throws this wrench into your life. And so I decided that finally I would take this step into, you know, finally creating my own product and doing something that I was truly passionate because now my time is very limited because I can't give all my time to work. You know, part of my time is devoted to the family. So how can I make the most of it and be, and, and make the most impact out of what I'm doing. And so that's how Twirl was born. Wow. That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's, it's really inspiring. Just like learning about why you had this inspiration for Twirl, um, you know, from the packaging and design perspective and also from the milk tea perspective, it all makes so much sense. And, you know, just like looking at the packaging and design for, for Twirl online, I, I personally like, you know, it is really, really compelling and it's really like eye opening and eye catching. I love the colors and it makes me want to, you know, find out more about it and try it. Um, so just like amazing job on the design for that. I love it so much. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And so I do want to know about, you know, a little bit more about Twirl um, and just like, you know, what made you want to, you know, make sure that these consumers are getting milk tea that is healthy for them, right? Because I know that yeah. twirl milk tea is plant-based and it's um, also from lo like low-carb milk as well. Um, mm -hmm. And just like trying so many different milk tea, 
there's just so many different multi places now and shops that are opening up. But, you know, like you mentioned, they're not all created equal. There are some that, you know, taste very, very sweet. And when it's mm-hmm. too sweet, I don't even want to drink it. Right. And at the same yep. time, when I reduce the sugar, it doesn't really taste good. Right. Like you mentioned. And then also there are some that are very, very powdery and you can actually taste the powder mm-hmm. in there. And that automatically throws me off and, you know, kind of turns me off mm-hmm. and I just don't even want to drink it anymore. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I want to know like how you were able to find farmers um, and make sure mm-hmm. that you were sourcing um, organic and making sure that your consumers were, you know, consuming healthy drinks for twirl milk tea. And you know, I love to know about like your process behind that as well. Yeah, uh, that's, I mean, I feel like, you know, my product already, <laughs> um, but I really set out to make it taste as best as possible with as little sugar possible and with the least calorie as possible, because, you know, number one, my first criteria was I want to be able to drink this every day. And I actually do. Um, this is around, it's wow. currently one, around 1.30 p.m. And that's sort of like my twirl o'clock time. Oh. Uh, <laughs> it's like, you know, you're after lunch, you feel a little, um, you know, kind of like lull from your work day and you like need to pick me up. And that's sort of my time to drink it. And so I really do drink it every day. Um, wow. And I get kind of like antsy if I don't. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, it's like your, your daily routine. Yeah, it's, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And I didn't want it to be like crazy caffeine levels either because it's, I mean, of course I've, I've actually drank it in the morning as well, but, um, I really, so that is the number one criteria. And, um, because I think during COVID I actually decided to, um, become vegetarian. So I just basically stopped. I wasn't eating that much meat to begin with, but, um, turning vegetarian and like now leaning towards the vegan. I cannot like, there's still like eggs and, you know, ice cream that it's very hard to give up. But for the most part, I haven't drank dairy milk for like over 10 years. So just trying to find a good dairy alternative that is also not going to fill up, you know, the calories. And I know oat milk is very popular right now, but I just felt like it just added so many more carbs to the drink. So I was trying to find another alternative to that. Like what could taste good? Um, so when I first started, I was like, well, I can just buy some wholesale tea, um, cheaply and brew this tea, add some milk to it, add a sweetener and then boom. And so my first quest was trying to find the right milk and I must've tried over 20 brands. I mean, there's just like anything from hemp milk to macadamia nut, cashew, almond, pistachio, like you can, you name it, like there's a milk for it. So I was actually at the um, fancy food show, which is like a big like food and beverage um, trade show that a lot of buyers go to for, you know, to stock their supermarkets or for their like um, shops. So it's kind of like a trade show, but also as a packaging designer, I used to go there all the time just for design inspiration. So I decided to go to this event. Um, It was right before COVID. And I found this pea milk that I was just like, okay, I'm going to give this a try. I've never heard of pea milk. Well, I think I might have like, um, but I've never tried it. So I tried it and I was like, wow, this is almost indistinguishable from, you know, dairy milk, like maybe a slight, not as thick, but it was just so mild tasting that I felt like it could just pair with anything. So I got some samples. I tried it at home. And I was like, okay, I'm going to put this on the side burner because nobody knows about pea milk. Maybe I should, you know, still try oat milk. But I think in the back of my mind, I knew that was it. And that's the one I'm still using today. So it was just, 
luck. I feel like almost like a serendipitous moment where I just happened to be at the right place at the right time to find that one milk that is like perfect for my drink. And I actually just drink this milk normally too with my coffee. So I'm still a coffee drinker and a tea drinker. Um, and so after I found that, uh, I, I worked, um, yeah, I, I must've, um, brewed, I was brewing tea like almost every day just to test the different blends and, um, different brands of wholesale milk or wholesale tea that I could get. And this was right before COVID hit. So, um, I was, brewing so much tea that I took up the entire fridge in my house and my family was not happy about it. And I was like, okay, I need to buy a second fridge because this is just, you know, like just giant gallons of tea everywhere and no one's drinking it but me. And I'm like, my husband and I were just like way too caffeinated because we kept drinking so much tea. So luckily I did get that second fridge. And it was, I think the day after that, um, you know, San Francisco was on lockdown. So it's like, and everyone was rushing to buy, you know, food from Costco and stock up their fridge. So it actually happened at a really good time that I decided to buy this fridge um, for, for the tea and not for COVID, but ended up, you know, it's, it's like one of the best purchases I ever made. Um, so, so then I was working with a food scientist at that time to try the, you know, to do our trials and to bring the, to make a commercial formula because your, kitchen formula does not really translate to the commercial version. There's um, just, you need to be very exact, like exact percentages, um, right. exact weight measurements, everything needs to be extremely exact. And um, to just add a little bit of something to bind all the elements together. So what, um, what they don't tell you about a lot of drinks that are shelf stable is that you need to, or it needs to go through this process called retort. And that actually kills all the bacteria in your product so that it can be shelf stable and doesn't need to be refrigerated. So a big goal of mine was to make sure it was shelf stable. So um, I've just heard stories about people trying to sell something through like the cold chain, which means you have to refrigerate it all the way through and it's just very expensive. So I was trying to formulate something that would taste good, um, but also be shelf stable. But little did I know that when you make something shelf stable, it actually literally, you literally cook the product. Um, I think it's like 257 degrees that you have to cook it in. So because of that process, a lot of the flavor gets cooked out. And um, so being like a novice, you know, product um, person, I just didn't, or just creating a product for the first time, I just didn't know all these details. And um the first batch was just like totally awful. Like I was, I cannot taste the tea at all. Um, so we did a second. So the food scientist was telling me, well, you know, everybody uses flavoring. So if you look at the back of cans of coffee or even some tea, you would see that one of the ingredients is um, natural flavoring. So it makes it sound natural, but it's really just flavor in a bottle. So even though I tried using natural flavoring in our original batch of tea, it just tasted really fake. Like I was like, I cannot drink this. It was just like the smell wasn't right. Um, it wasn't like just that tea flavor wasn't there. So it was just a big, huge letdown. And it was like, you know, in the middle of lockdown summer, just very depressing at that time, um, getting these samples from the manufacturer and not being able to like celebrate that moment. Yeah. Um, and I just like didn't even want to start my social media account, at, you know, for, for the business, not for myself at that time, because I, I was so excited to like tell everyone that, hey, I got these samples. But it was so disappointing that I just like kind of crawled back into um, 
the drawing board again because it just wasn't right. And I couldn't figure out like what to do because I was like, well, I'm using organic tea. Is there something better than this that I'm using? So I um, luckily found this forum called Startup CPG. And um, they're like pretty big now, actually. And um, I just kind of asked around, like, does anyone have any contacts that I could talk to, like another food scientist um, who could give me some advice? And luckily, I did get connected to someone who pointed me to a tea, um, I guess, tea importer. And they actually, they are actually owners of um, in of the business in China. So they kind of live in China part time and also live in the United States. So they kind of had like, you know, the connections both ways. And they were just telling me an incredible story about their farmers. It's um, small, small family, multi-generational farmers. They live and grow um, on the land. And because of that, you know, they want the best because it's like their, their kids even work on the field. And it's um, in this amazing environment where it's like kind of like a natural hillside where um, it's like a biodiverse environment where there's like birds and like natural predators there, but the natural predators actually help the tea because they, um, they make, they basically, so you have, you know, you have insects on the plants. It's kind of like inevitable, but the predators come and they eat the insects. Mm-hmm. And actually, um, it's actually grown in a place where there's other plants as well, because, um, having it grow within other plants makes the plants compete against um, other plants. So they produce more flavor and more antioxidants that way. And so that's when you get, um, then you don't have to use pesticides. So it actually produces a way better flavor than your commercial organic farm, where you do use like maybe organic um, fertilizer or pesticides and can still claim organic. So the family farms are so small that they don't actually, they can't, um, get the organic certification. It's very expensive for them, like tens of thousands of dollars. But the practices that they use are um, like beyond organic. So it's actually a much more flavorful tea that they produce. And so I've stuck with this farm um, and their tea is like just amazing. I found actually a similar farm in Japan, which produces our hojicha tea. So in Japan, actually, it's very different. Um, everything is fair trade there. They, everyone, um, I think the government regulates that. Mm-hmm. So their um, quality of life is better for the farmers there as well. And um, they kind of use the same methods of farming. The, there's a Japanese term for it that I can't remember right now, but it's also growing your tea or growing crops in a biodiverse environment. So it really helps the flavor of the tea that way. Um, yeah, sorry. No. Well, I have a lot to say about the tea. Um, <laughs> yeah, I can. That's like how yeah, it's something that you are about it. Yeah, it's something I'm really passionate about, and well, so because of this um, super amazing high quality tea that we're getting, we don't have to use flavoring, and it and because it's so good, it actually um, can pass through that retort process and not lose flavor. So that is just, um, something that you cannot get with just like a wholesale bag of tea that you would get like on Amazon or something. Um, it's like whole leaf it's picked at the right time. It's really like when you get, you know, there's like first pick and second pick, the first pick is obviously the most flavorful. Mm -hmm. Um, but also when you get like the tea bag versions of tea, it's oftentimes very crushed up already. So a lot of the flavor gets lost that way. Mm-hmm. So you really do need to brew with a whole leaf to get the full flavor. 
Trust me. Wow. Yeah. I just wanted to say, like, I love how honest and transparent you are. You know, I'm, you know, it's, it's amazing to know that you, you know, passed through that retort process and you didn't have to go through it, but just knowing that, you know, you did come across it, but you had to have some setbacks um, and it's okay to have some setbacks, you know, and, you know, I love, I just love how transparent you are because it just shows that, you know, you were able and willing to find another alternative um, because you wanted to be transparent with your consumers, because you wanted to perfect your product to your consumers and make sure that they were getting the best drink possible, right? And you didn't mm -hmm. settle for the retort process. You didn't settle at that stage and be like, hey, maybe this is like the only way because everyone else <laughs> is doing it, you know? Because yeah. that probably is the easiest way. And that's why everyone does it. And that's probably you know, just the more simpler way, instead of finding an actual, you know, producer or farm that will make organic milk, right? And so I just wanted to, you know, commend you for just being so transparent. And, you know, as an entrepreneur, you know, we're always going to face setbacks like that. We're always going to find like speed bumps, but we just have to keep going and we have to, you know, find an alternative if, you know, we choose to and just just move on and just, just keep going. Um, yeah. And I feel like consumers nowadays are so aware of, you know, ensuring that the farms where their coffee or their tea is sourced are implementing organic sustainable practices. Like, for example, like Gen Z and millennials, they're always like, oh, where's my coffee coming from? Right. Or like, where right. is my tea coming from? As opposed to before, we're just consuming it without really thinking about, you know, what are the practices of that farm or, you know, how is my tea being sourced? Um, so I love that you're paying attention to that because nowadays like people are so aware of that and people like want to learn more about um, the food and the, the, the drinks that they're consuming. Yeah, for sure. And I still feel like, you know, sometimes you would go to a boba shop and they do tell you kind of like, you know, yeah. this is uh, maybe some boba shops, not everyone. Yeah. So that was a big deal of mine too. Like what kind of tea am I drinking from these places? Is right. it even tea? Cause I don't see any tea bags. And yeah. um, sometimes you literally see them scoop the powder in the cup. So you're <laughs> like, okay, that's not tea. Um, yeah. So I just really wanted like a true tea flavor. It's, uh -huh. it's not even just about like low calorie and like better for you. It's about feeling good about where it's sourced, as you said, and you know, that you are consuming something that is, you know, sustainably sourced and people thought about, you know, where it came from and how it was produced. So Absolutely. yeah, I think finding, you know, all those things together. Um, another reason why I use pea milk is because uh, it's actually one of the most sustainable plant-based milks. Oh. So if you compare it to almond milk, it uses, I think 85% less water than almond milk and oh. also less fertilizer than like a soy milk or oat milk. Um, it actually, the pea plant absorbs, can absorb the nitrogen from the air and turn it into food a lot better or more efficiently than the other plants. So in that sense, like pea is also the most sustainable um, milk that you could put into your drink. And that's part of the reason why I chose pea milk as well, not just for the flavor, but mostly for the flavor. Amazing. So there's just yeah. so many different you know, small business owners in the milk tea industry. Um, mm -hmm. And even in like the CP CPG industry for packaged, you know, drinks, there's a lot more like ready to drink coffee, right? Or sure. um, even like seltzer brands. There's like so many different seltzer brands now, right? And they're all, yeah. I do see, you know, personally in Asian Hustle Network, I do see a lot of these brands coming up. Um, 
I think this a lot of them actually came from the pandemic too, because maybe like boba shops, you know, a lot of people couldn't actually go out to the boba shops anymore. So they had to create their own DIY or create their own drink in like coffee or seltzer, right? And so just like looking at your design and packaging, it's so unique and it's so like colorful and it pops. Um, how do you make sure that you like set yourself apart from the other um, drinks and in terms of like the design and packaging? Because I, you know, personally, just like looking at yours, it's like very, very appealing to the eye. So how do you make sure that you set yourself apart in terms of um, like the packaging and the design and also just like in the taste as well? Yeah, so you know, back to the taste, we just really want to shoot for, you know, that guilt-free, you know, great tasting, um, drink, because for me, like, I know that there's, um, you know, Asian imported milk tea brands in a can, but I really haven't found any that are, um, you know, from the U S I think maybe some really small niche ones, but other than that, like, I feel like that is our biggest differentiator, you know, we're, you know, um, Asian American owned, um, female owned. I think that's a lot of, you know, that's a big, like, I want to set an example to like other, you know, as aspiring female entrepreneurs that yes, you can do this. Like it doesn't, you don't have to be like a huge company. You can create your own brand too. Um, and just, I think having all this, a lot of experience, like seeing products on shelf, like, I think it's just like the simpler, the better. Um, if it's just too crowded, like even now, when I look at the can, I'm like, what improvements can I make to it? It's just, you know, I'm always thinking about like, how can I you know, reword it a little bit better, but just, you know, making it clear what the product is, um, and not, and just being able to, um, grab someone's attention right away off the shelf because people are scanning like a shelf full of like 50 products. They don't really have time to like read the back of your label and everything. So what can you design that really stands out? And yeah. so, um, you know, hopefully we can have more flavors in the future and have like a bigger brand block. But for now, our three flavors, like I felt like, um, you know, the design that I came up with um, could be, you know, might be more eye-catching or hopefully is more eye-catching. Um, and also just differentiated from all the seltzer brands. I know there's just so like the kombucha <laughs> space and yeah, yeah seltzer, yeah. sparkling yeah. waters. There's just so yeah, many. Sparkling waters. Yeah. So many. Yeah. yeah so many different. So, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so I think for us, it's really like, hopefully about that flavor. And also because um, one of my favorite teas is hojicha. And to be honest, I don't think I've actually seen a hojicha drink out there except oh. at a cafe yeah. so that was like a last minute call i was actually going to do a different flavor to launch with my third flavor but because i'm just like a huge fan of hoji chai i said you know what i'm just gonna pivot and do this because i i love it i don't care if nobody else likes it it's you know i think it tastes the best and it's <laughs> i mean i think i think on, i love all three flavors like i kind of rotate that rotate between all three but um, in the afternoon, I usually go for hojicha because it is less caffeine. It's like a Japanese tea that um, is roast, a roasted green tea. So um, it roasts out the bitterness of green tea and also roasts out some of the caffeine, but still retaining all the health benefits of green tea. Okay. So I feel like hojicha is like the new green tea that everybody should be drinking. <laughs> um, it, it just has like this nutty, flavorful, sweet aroma that um, is so unique mm -hmm. and you know, finding these unique flavors um, is something that I want to continue um, to innovate on. And so differentiating in that respect as well. 
Um, and I hope that, you know, if people do end up reading the label, they can really see that we truly try to check all those boxes, you know, organic fair trade tea, it's non-GMO, um, it's, let's see, less sugar, allergen free. So we actually had like a little neighborhood event um, a few weeks ago. And there was this one girl who came to us and her treat, I think she's a teenager. So her treat was decaf coffee. Like that's all she could have because she was allergic to so many things. Mm -hmm. And she was so happy that she could actually drink twirl because it didn't have any of those allergens that she normally had to look out for. And she literally drank through four cans. And I was like, Oh, I think you need to stop now. <laughs> um, yeah. She was just so happy. She found it because it really doesn't have any of the common allergens. And, um, and it's also, I think what else, Oh, one, one other thing is that um, the nitro infusion is something that I really try to work hard on. Um, I am sure you've heard of like a nitro infused coffee, cold brew. And it's basically adding nitrogen, like all cans of any drink actually have nitrogen in them because it's what makes the can hard and not like crush during um, transportation or like in your, in your bag. Right. And, um, but you can actually infuse the nitrogen into your tea to make it smoother and creamier um, and have that effect of the smoothness without adding additional fats or creamers. So that's another big differentiator that and why everyone's, you know, doing nitro infusion, because it really does add that next level to it. If you give the can a little shake and you pour it out, you can see like a little bit of foam mm -hmm. and it really does add to that mouthfeel of, of the drink. So that's another thing that we are trying to continually improve on. Oh, that's amazing. I love just how innovative you are and making sure that, you know, you stand out from all the other drinks that are available on the market and constantly um, improving as well. Yeah. So we know that, you know, the boba milk tea or the bubble milk tea mm -hmm. industry has like mm -hmm. really blown up in the last couple of years. Yeah. You know, there's just so many people, like we mentioned, opening up um, boba shops or creating their own DIY boba kits. There are now like card games of boba yes. character. Um, there's yeah. a boba emoji on the iPhone now. So it definitely feels mm -hmm. like a lot more people even outside of the Asian community are learning about boba and like loving it, mm -hmm. right? Um, what do you see as like the future of milk tea in general or just like as a CPG product? And how do you see Twirl growing as well? To me, I always saw milk tea as kind of like that coffee latte alternative. It's, mm -hmm. you know, essentially a tea latte is yeah. what it is. And I think people know tea latte I think half people refer to it as tea lattes and half refer to it as milk tea. Like the Asians all say milk tea, um, but it's, yeah, it's huge. And yes, our drink does not have boba in it, but we are developing a boba product, I think probably next year. And um, I realize it's not in there, but I know that for me, I truly wanted the boba milk tea for the milk tea itself. And I always like never finished my boba because um, <laughs> I was like, well, I really shouldn't have all this anyway. Um, I just want a few chews, but I think it's just like the coffee alternative because sometimes you really want like that little pick me up, but you don't want like that jitteriness right. of coffee and it kind of like, you know, dries you out. It just doesn't feel as good for some reason. Um, and when you drink tea instead, it kind of gives you a little bit more of a, like a, a calmness, smooth ride in the afternoon. Yeah. Calmness. And it's because don't drink yeah. coffee normally or mm -hmm. too much. They, they do get that jittery feeling. Cause I noticed that when I don't drink coffee for a long time, I start getting jitters. 
Yeah, exactly. And it's because tea has, you know, that L-theanine in it and it actually kind of like makes you feel less stressed. I mean, so that's what the that's what the claims are. Right. Um, and a lot of adaptogen drinks have this um, have this uh, in there. So it actually makes you less stress. It actually aids with digestion. So tea is actually like naturally really good for you already. And so um, having that and in, on top of, you know, having so many different flavors, I think in the boba industry, I think, or in the cafe industry, it's all about, you know, that cool flavor that you can get, like, you know, the ube, uh, whatever, strawberry matcha, um, just like so many different cool flavors and like how it looks in your cup. But for me, it's more about just the true great taste of like that classic milk tea, you know, the, the black milk tea that you would get when you were like, okay, I don't know what to get. I'm just going to go for the classic. So th that's what we're really trying to do um, is to make the best version of those classics. So I did a lot of research trying to decide what flavors to put out. And obviously the black is, you know, everybody knows that one. Um, I think Jasmine is a close second and Hojicha just because I personally loved it so much. Um, so I, that's, that's kind of how I decided to come up with those flavors and, you know, respond to this craziness of boba. Um, I know a lot of people ask like, are you going to put boba in the can? But I've tried those bobas in a can. It just does not taste good. <laughs> um, I don't think I'm going to try and do that because it's just not going to work. Like that's just the science of the tapioca. It's just yeah. not going to stay in there and be chewy for an indefinite amount of time. So, yeah. you know, I have, I have another plan to solve this problem, which we'll probably announce next year. Uh, but in the meantime, I think that's what I'm trying to do. Stick to the classic and try to make the best version of it in the best way possible. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, anytime I leave Boba overnight, it's like never good anymore. So right. I hear what other alternative you have for, for <laughs> and all of the goals that you have for the next couple of years. Um, but I do want to, you know, ask you another question, um, not related to the business, but in terms of like just being an entrepreneur, you know, you kind of, you know, leaving your corporate job or the agency to become an entrepreneur full time. I'm sure there's like just so much that you need to do and just like such a heavy burden. Um, and it's a lot of hard work, you know, being an entrepreneur. Yeah. How do you manage your your mental health and how do you make sure that you're promoting good mental health? Um, you know, like Brian and I are running Asian Hustle Network. We quit our full time jobs to run this community. And, you know, as any other entrepreneur would know, it's it's not um, it's not easy. And, you know, it, I think a lot of entrepreneurs need to be commended for all of the hard work that they're doing, just, you know, leaving their nine to five to actually work 24 hours instead, <laughs> always on the clock. So how do you manage your mental health and, you know, how are you making sure that you're promoting good um, practices in your daily life for yourself? Yeah, I felt like my mental health was not the best, especially just, um, trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. Cause I think after having um, two kids, it was like, well, what's after that? You know, do I go back to my own job and, mm -hmm. you know, just work for somebody and be kind of like paid, but unsatisfied, or should I do something I'm really passionate about? So I keep telling my family that I've like literally never worked this hard in my life because mm -hmm. I'm constantly working and it like never stops, you know, but I am really enjoying every single moment of it. So it's like, fulfilling your passion, but it's also work at the same time, which I think is like the best that you could ever ask for. Mm -hmm. um, 
And it's, you know, it's like having a third baby. Um, it just always something you need to think about, but I really do enjoy every aspect of it. And I find it just so such a huge learning experience. Um, so I thought, oh, you know, I designed a can. Now I know everything about packaging, but it was like just like 1% of everything I needed to know to start this business. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think during the pandemic, it was something that just kept me busy. I think a lot of people's mental health was kind of, you know, going down at that point because you're kind of stuck at home. You can't really connect. But I had this full project that I was working on. Um And it just was something that I could share with people and connect with people about. So I felt like I, you know, for me, like I'm naturally introverted. I don't really love like networking in person events. Like, although now I feel like I'm getting much better at it, but because of the pandemic, you know, you could just zoom, you know, call somebody and it'd be like totally fine. And I was totally, I was doing this like as much as possible because just to learn about how to get into, you know, the CPG industry and just learning from mentors, um, talking to people. So I actually became a lot more extroverted because of this whole experience. And another thing that really kept me grounded was that like I had, um, you know, I had a exercise bike, a Peloton that was just collecting dust for many, I think for maybe like a year and a half. And because of the pandemic, I was like, well, I can't really go out. I can't, you know, I'm just getting fat here, sitting at home. So I just decided like one day to get on it. And now it's like become this strange obsession with my friends and I, and we just really do it every morning together. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just something that like, you feel good, like right in the beginning of the morning, I've become a morning, morning person. I never was. I used to stay up really late at night working. Now I'm like, okay, I need to sleep early so I can get up to do my workout. It's just like a totally different lifestyle that has changed because we were kind of forced to do it or I felt like I had no other option. And so I really feel like taking that time in the morning before everybody gets up and before you have to deal with, you know, the day to just have that like one hour to yourself. Um, that really just has kept me like level-headed and grounded and something that you can feel good about achieving. At least you check this off your list this morning. Um, and uh, through that, I feel like it just made me, you know, become more clear-headed in the morning and just um, being feeling like I can tackle the day. So I think just having that community, like it was virtual, but it's still fine because you're still doing this together, you know, and every night we decide what class to take. It's, um, it's just something, you know, off the side that I look forward to doing. Um, yeah. And I think just being able to tell friends and family about, you know, what I'm doing is also super gratifying as well. So, yeah. Well, if I had a milk tea waiting for me every morning, I would also become a morning person. (laughs) I love that you know you are going outside of your box because like I'm personally an introvert as well and then since becoming an entrepreneur it kind of forces you to go outside of the box Mm -hmm. and become more extroverted um I personally do feel like I'm still introverted but it's more of like introvert extrovert now you know because it pushes you to talk to more people have more conversations with people and just cultivate those relationships So, Pauline, do you have any advice for an aspiring entrepreneur in our community? Um, And if you do, what would that one advice be? I would say really go with your passion and try to achieve like just I know it seems overwhelming to get to that, you know, that top level. But just just 
you know, ironing out the steps and, you know, writing down all the steps that it takes to get there to achieve that goal um, and to make sure you stick to, you know, what you truly believe in and what you truly care about. And, and if it's your passion, you'll, I think it's something that won't go away and then you'll work your hardest to get there. But if it's, you know, when you get sidetracked with like smaller projects or like things you're like kind of iffy about, you know, you, you do it, but you don't feel like you're, you know, achieving what you want. So I think sticking to your passion and really, you know, going for that is my best advice. That's really great advice. And for all of our listeners, um, how can they find out more about yourself and Twirl Milk Tea? So uh, we have a website, it's twirlmilktea.com, T-W-R-L. Uh, that's the way, best way to find us. We're also on Instagram at twirlmilktea. So please follow us. And um, yeah, we look forward to connecting with our community as well. Amazing. Thank you so much, Pauline. I will leave all of that in the show notes of this episode. It was amazing having you on our podcast today. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Thank you so much. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the show. We would like to get to the top 10 on iTunes, so be sure to leave us a five-star review. We release an episode every single Wednesday, so stay tuned. Thank you guys so much.